before we get started today, I've got a couple really quick and exciting updates. Our first episode of our podcast was posted almost a year ago now and has almost 12,000 listens, which is so awesome and just really overwhelmingly cool. A lot of you have commented and told us that you've been sharing this podcast with friends and family and community members that would also like to learn. And that means so much to us and it is helping us immensely. There are tons of podcasts out there and a personal recommendation goes a really long way. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much to everyone who's been sharing this with anyone that they think would be interested in learning more about cannabis science. And just a reminder, we recently started a Smoke and Science newsletter. If you want to subscribe to that, head over to smokeandscience.com. We're going to regularly be putting out additional information that will help you follow along with the podcast, such as an introduction to the endocannabinoid system and certain definitions for all the crazy acronyms associated with it. If you're interested in trying smoke and all, but you haven't had access to it, good news. We ship hemp smoke and all called profound naturals all over the united states and you can get yours today right and at this moment you have about a week left to use the discount code podfan0822 at profoundnaturals.com to get 10 percent off your whole order we appreciate all the support from our listeners and we're really excited about this podcast episode with dr callie seaman Welcome to Smoke and Science, the podcast hosted by Team Smoke and All, where we break down cannabis science and other natural products so everyone can understand and appreciate them. I'm Andy. I'm Riley. And I'm Miyabi. Last episode, we talked in depth about cannabinoid receptors. And this week, we have a special guest, Dr. Callie Seaman. During her PhD, Callie investigated nutrient solutions for hydroponic growth of plants. She's an epilepsy warrior and a regular user and an advocate for plant medicine. Before we get started, here's a quick introduction to epilepsy before we dive too deep. Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that affects approximately 1% of the population. It results in seizures that can look different depending on the type of epilepsy that the person has, but it is caused by a disturbance in the neuronal activity in the brain. There are medications on the market that help with epilepsy and seizures, but they don't work for everyone. And we also do know that cannabis is effective, but there's not a ton of research on it, and that's what we're gonna be discussing today. Welcome to Smoke and Science, the podcast where the deeper we go, the less we know. Well, I'm so excited to have you here, Callie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I just wanted to start off with letting you introduce yourself to the listeners. Just how'd you get into it? How did you get into cannabis and what your formal background was in? Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, it's really nice to actually talk to some fellow uh, female scientists who are in the cannabis space. We, we, we kind of seem to be quite rare breed. Um, so how did I get into this whole cannabis thing? So 20 years ago, um, I started working in the hydroponic industry and that was thanks to my dear daddy. Um, he actually introduced me to the hydroponic industry because when I was 15, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And this was back in 1995. So 
things were very, very different then. There was a lot of different drugs on the market of, of treatments for epilepsy, and I was very quickly put onto camazepine. And my dad noticed that my, my actual grades went down. We were doing the GCSEs. That's what we do in this country, around 16. Um, these are uh, some qualifications we get when we leave school. And my the, these GCSEs, the, the grades for them dropped. I'd gone from a straight-A student to a um, you know Cs and Ds. And he introduced me to cannabis with no kind of real hard evidence. It was all just anecdotal. These can help control seizures. He introduced me to cannabis and then started growing for myself. And we went to the local hydroponic shop. And this was a back street shop. And we, we were sort of just adoring this wall of all these nutrients. And these people had this knowledge this knowledge of this plant that nobody else seemed to knew and how to grow this plant and how to get the best from it and how to grow indoors and it, it fascinated me. Uh, I went on to do a degree in biomedical sciences and went to work for GlaxoSmithKline because I thought I wanted to go into drug development. Hated it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever worked in a, a, a lab uh, like that. <laughs> we'll have to pass off. Well, not have to totally pass, but both of us uh, feel the same way. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you essentially become a lab rat doing the same thing day in, day out. Um, or a uh, poor functioning robot, maybe, because we do the same thing day in and day out, but less efficiently than what a robot can do. And you don't have control over the things that you research, nor do you really have control over the intentions of the company that you work for. And I'm not making any claims about any other company's intentions whatsoever but i am just like stating that like i've you know taken many psychopharmaceuticals and i've seen and heard from other people in the community and they they do work for some people they have really a great benefit out there like pharmaceuticals are very important and it's an important thing to have access to at the same time it doesn't work for everyone and i mean i think that that's incredible that you were able to go on, get a biomedical degree, like have your PhD, like you really were able to heal from cannabis. And that's something that mirrors my my personal story, so. I didn't really realize I was using it medicinally. That that was the other thing. I, I, I really, I was using it, but wasn't, you know, routinely making sure that I was using it. And, and as you say, pharmaceuticals for some people work, you know, and are needed. There's a time and a place for them. You know, as you say, for some people, they are miracles. And I would never say to anybody to stop taking their, their pharmaceuticals um, in place of cannabis. I just found that cannabis helped me so much. Uh, it, it was it was what essentially saved my life. But for I never had another seizure then. So I had a seizure when I was 15. I never had another seizure up to the age of 35. And when I was doing my PhD, or what I thought was a seizure, I should say. I say I never had a seizure. I went into a firm amount of denial with my epilepsy. I, when I was at school and it happened, I, people all of a sudden didn't want to hang around with me anymore because the seizure is quite scary if you've ever witnessed one. I remember finding scrolled on a table, uh, Callie Fixter, which was my maiden name then, was a smackhead. Um, this is a, a terminology in the UK used for people who take a lot of heroin. And there was, a, there was a big problem in our town at that point. So I didn't want to be associated with that. I didn't want to have this label on me that I was disabled. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I wasn't able to do the... I was a sea cadet at the time. So I was, I was going sailing, I was swimming. And all of a sudden, I was told by a doctor I couldn't even have a bath on my own. 
and at the age of 15, you're going, what do you mean I can't have a bath on my own? I, 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 my body's changing. What, what's, why, are you, why are you telling me this? So I didn't want to be epileptic. I didn't want this, this label. And at the age of 35, when I was finishing my PhD off, I was writing up. I'd started my own business in that time as well, which is Aqua Laboratories, where you see me in today. Um, and I had a seizure whilst at work. It was a very hot day. I collapsed in the toilet and hit my face on the sink on the way down. Smashed my face up. I had a really big egg on my head. And I was still in denial at that point. Uh, and the, one of the reasons I had the seizure was because I was finishing my PhD, I stopped consuming cannabis because I needed a clear head. I needed to stay up and I needed to write up and cannabis was preventing that. How am I going to do this, you know, being stoned? Turns out the cannabis was actually stopping the seizures. It wasn't until a year later when I had another seizure, when I'd stopped consuming cannabis again in order to do a half marathon to get fit, did I realise that this marvellous plant had actually been preventing my seizures. And that's at that point I came out of denial with it all and started to realise that my epilepsy was a gift. It was given to me as a gift. Now, you don't always like the gifts we're given. Come on, how many presents have you had from your granny and it's been those lovely lavender smelling bath salts and you've gone, thank you, Nan. Oh yeah, I think we can all think of a couple. <laughs> we, we've all been there. So I, I look at it that way that we don't always like the gifts we're given, but what we do is we need to be grateful for them and we need to help to use them to help other people. And I believe I was given this and that, that cannabis was part of all of that. So I could communicate my journey, my story to stop the stigma associated with it. Now this all happened coincidentally. It was almost like the universe was coming together. This happened the same year that the law changed in the UK in 2018, that cannabis could be prescribed. Uh, there's lots of kind of weird coincidences that have come together like for example my name my name is Callie and it came from a, a song by Steel Pulse hey Mr Callieman turns out Mr Callieman was the local weed dealer why was I given this name I'm due to this and and I just I started to believe in, in destiny now I'm a scientist and I'm going no 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 such thing as chance it's all we can control all of this and I've started to kind of accept that that we do meet people for a reason. Destiny is something, and and we're all given these these challenges, these lessons in our lives in order to help others, to help change things for a reason. And really, that's that's where the real kind of medicinal cannabis journey started. And I then teamed up with um, a lady called Hannah Deacon and Matt Hughes. Hannah Deacon was one of the. She had a son called Alfie Digley who has got uh, retractory epilepsy and was one of the first people to actually get a prescription on the NHS of full plant extract cannabis. Now your, your listeners will know what full plant and why I bang on about it being full plant extract and it not just being isolate. It's so important that we actually talk about that. Um, the fact that it, it's, it, it's full plant extract, he was one of the first to actually get um, on prescription. And we've teamed up and we've formed MedCan support uh, uh, which is a, it's a, we're aiming to become a charity, but we're a support network of parents with children with factory epilepsy who are interested in understanding more about cannabis uh, as a medicine for their children, as part of their daily life. And then obviously 
um, things sort of escalated and I started doing a lot more talks about it and started working with different farms coming from the hydroponic industry in the UK. We were, you know, I worked in the, the shop for over 10 years and then went on to start my own business, which was fertilizers. Um, so we'd been essentially teaching people how to grow for all of these years. And we then started to see this legal market and these licensed facilities coming through and starting to approach us to understand how that they could grow. And I started working within farms and well, the rest's kind of history. It's, it, 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 I, I never imagined I'd be here 10 years ago. Honestly, I had no idea I'd be here. I think we all, I think we feel that way too. There's so much that you mentioned that I like, don't feel at all like we can't talk about destiny in this That's space. like a quarter of what we talk about. <laughs> scientists we're, we're supposed to say everything's got you know we can measure that it so there's no such thing as chance there's things that we'll never know that we're totally fine with never knowing miyabi and i how we kind of met up we're kind of like that seems like destiny and now all the work that we're doing together to try to advance like the educational component of cannabis it's what we believe in like this chemo diversity approach as you said these full spectrum extracts not isolated compounds in regards to epilepsy i don't think there has been a clinical trial in humans with the full plant extract for epilepsy i think it i think the only one that has been done like conclusively was cbd in both animals and human studies. Which is crazy because the isolate, um, so for people who aren't aware, like CBD isolate is pharmaceutically prescribed in the US as Epidiolex, uh, I think it's GW. It's also it's yeah. also in the UK as well. Um, and the doses are incredibly high. Um, and the reason for yep. that, the reason why the doses are incredibly high is because CBD is required in very, very high doses as an isolate. But there haven't been studies on whether or not you could potentiate that anti-epileptic effect, like a, like to reduce seizures using both CBD and THC and all of the other hundreds of things that are in the plant, as Callie mentioned, the full plant extract. I didn't, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, I mean, and we have evidence from animal studies that THC and other CB1 agonists could be helpful, like the endocannabinoid system is involved in some way, but um, yeah, it's only been animal studies. We don't have any um, human clinical trials to see how, like, how, as you said, the combination of CBD and THC or the full plant extract or just, like, very small amounts of THC found in something like hemp, how that could be uh, beneficial. Although we do have a pharmaceutical drug called Epidiolex that is pure CBD, we also have evidence that THC can help with seizures as well. Agonists or compounds that can activate a receptor, like how THC can activate the cannabinoid 1 receptor, is some early evidence that activation of our own endocannabinoid system can help control seizures. And we can activate this system through using the cannabis plant or from manipulating our endocannabinoid system, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Well, okay, also really quickly too, this mysticism thing, this like synchronicity um, of of timing, and of, I feel that way about how we met, Callie. Right? I mean, it's this, 
it's this synchronicity where you're saying, oh, the timing seems to be too perfect for it not to be meaningful. That feeling, um, the feeling of mysticism, or sometimes in the scientific literature it's called oceanic boundlessness, that feeling is serotonergic. So it's really interesting because we know that we can increase that feeling by many people with classic psychedelics, serotonin agonists will get an increased feeling of this mysticism. That's also true of cannabis. At high doses or regular use of cannabis, you can have more of this mysticism, more of this deep connection to your purpose in life and also the deep connection to all life on earth and just the universe and the unknown. And, you know, this... This is something that's between the endocannabinoid system and the serotonin system. It's an effect that's that's mediated between the two of them. It's one of the reasons why I think that there are, you know, there's a general um, stereotype about hippies. Like how the three of us are hippie scientists, probably, I, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll take that title any day. <laughs> I, I suppose we are hippie scientists. And yeah, and, you know. There's this thing about hippies, the stereotype that we're all cool with the earth, man. And like, we all feel like it's destiny and, you know, whatnot. And, you know, perhaps that's because of this sense of mysticism that we get. Um, but that mysticism is associated with better health outcomes in, in general. Having that feeling of connectedness is associated with it. Well, and, you know, if that feeling leads to you maybe changing your career path or doing something that's more suitable to how you actually feel, like that alone can be, have health benefits that you're happier, you're less stressed, you feel more at place with whatever job you have, whatever, you know, any situation in your life. Like if you can change your lifestyle and your life choices to be more fitting for yourself, that that does have measurable health benefits. I just want to take a moment to point out here that this is a place where you can really consciously change your perspective and intentionally interpret things certain ways because there are tons of omens in our life. Uh, humans are great at recognizing patterns and recognizing patterns and interpreting them as good and interpreting them as signs and as Riley mentioned earlier, like destiny. Like we both really feel that everything leading up to this, this podcast included, but all of it, that at a certain point there's synchronicity and there's mysticism and that you can attribute the those positive effects to events in your life, to things that you feel passionate about in your life, to your life mission and your life drive and your life goal, and that it makes you a happier, healthier person overall to feel that connectedness. With It is a spiritual nature, but it's, it's something intangible and something that you can't describe. And I think it's incredibly interesting that the endocannabinoid system and the serotonin system play a really important role in mediating that effects in our brains. 100%. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned other kind of psychedelics. I had an experience with DMT that completely changed my life. I understood what my mission was from that moment on. And the only way I can describe it is, is my personal mission. And that was a big thing that helped me come out of denial as well about my epilepsy. It also, as I say, I had this moment of, I, I, the only way I can describe it is speaking to God. Um, I didn't, I, I don't have any recollection of actually speaking to somebody, but I went somewhere, I came back and I came back with knowledge. I can't tell you what that knowledge is. I can't write it down, but I know what I've got to do and I know how I'm going to get there. And it, and it was, I, I, some people laugh at me and, and tell me that, I, as you say, I'm a bit of a crazy hippie to talk about this. It, 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 what you're talking about, it's like, you need to try this. You you need to like have purpose to this. And, and I also talk about now, I understand about my seizures as well. 
and every time I have one, I go somewhere. And it, and it, it, it was very similar in the sense that I, when I experienced the DMT, that I went somewhere and I came back. And one of the last seizures I had last year, I, 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 I was I was driving at the time. I, a year had gone past, and I'd been dri- I was allowed to drive again. And I had my son in the car, and the feeling came on. And with epilepsy, what happens is 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 that you get something called an aura. It's like a warning feeling. And it's very bizarre. And everybody with epilepsy talks about this aura and this kind of, it's a glitch in the matrix, we'll sometimes call it, where you will, it's a deja vu feeling. It's like, whoa, here it, it's it's coming again. Whoa, mine starts as a wave in the feet and it comes up. And I remember this happening in the car. And then I remember blacking out. And then I woke up on the side of the road. But I know whilst I was unconscious, I spoke to God and he sat me down and he told me to stop messing around, to get on with this. It's not wasn't my time, wasn't my time to be taken. And I needed to get on with communicating to people about cannabis. I needed to get rid of the stigma. And again, it was this sense of mission, um, this this sense of, of of knowing my purpose in life. I'd spent a lot of a lot of years not really knowing what my purpose and sort of bumbling along of really not really fully feeling that I'd, I'd, I was doing what I was I was born to do and didn't believe in, in God or death or anything like that. Death was just something that happened. But after these experiences, uh, I became so much more spiritual and so much more accepting of that there is there is somewhere else that we're, you know, there is there is there is another life out there. And I say some people just laugh at you when you talk about this, but it, it, it's lovely to talk to other women, particularly scientists as well, that go, no, we get it. We understand it. We know what you're talking about. You're not a loony. There's an infinite amount of evidence that there is an infinite number of universes and dimensions that we can't, like, I, I don't have a full understanding of, like, quantum mechanics and quantum physics and any of that, but from from what I've seen, like, no one can prove it wrong. And with that unknown comes like the ability to have faith in like the things that you believe in. And all of us have faith in science as well. I mean, we all believe in science. That's why we're scientists. Um, but we also, you know, acknowledge the vast amount of the unknown that, that is there. Actually, Callie, I had a question for you. Um, this is just like a general um, thing that I would like to know personally that I don't know, which is when someone has a seizure, like if I see someone having a seizure, what, what should I do? Like, wh- like what, um, I've heard before, like, uh, yeah, just please tell me, like, I know that diff- there are different types of seizures, but... There are hundreds of different types of seizures. So you you probably witness people having seizures and not even realised it. So there's absent seizures where people will just start staring and just to blank out. Uh, you then have uh, tonic, tonic seizures, which are the ones that you will be most familiar with, the kind of shaking on the floor, going very stiff, foaming at the mouth, those kinds of things. Well, the best thing you can do is protect their head and keep talking to them. Time that seizure from when it starts. If it lasts longer than five minutes, phone an ambulance, but protect that head. Don't restrain them. Don't try and put anything in their mouths. Don't hit them. Just comfort them. Talk gently to them because we can hear you. We can hear you. And one of the most the most scary things when you come round is is you're very, very dazed and confused. And if you've got a familiar face smiling at you saying, it's all going to be all all right, it makes you feel so much better. It makes it so much easier. Because you've, I've come round and the fear I've seen in people's faces, the, the, the utter terror is 
it's soul destroying because you know you've caused this fear in them and just to be calm that's the biggest thing i can say is to be calm um and and comforting uh i, I had one once where my my business partner bless him simon he witnessed it again in the car but i was in the passenger seat this time and he actually he was he started performing reiki just put his hand over my knee and it helped so much because i remember coming around and knowing it was all just going to be all all right i could feel it was all going to be all all right um and it, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of that it's it, it's making sure that that person isn't scared and they know that they're safe um sometimes we can do daft things like run off and that's the other crazy thing there are obscure seizures where people will lose consciousness and start running um, and it all depends what part of the brain is affected. I mind the frontal lobe. I have a slight slowing in my uh, right front lobe, which is a very common one. It's nothing kind of out there, but it can affect people's speech. Um, I'm told I, I growl a lot as well. Um, that's quite enough to make funny noises whilst I'm actually having a seizure. Um, I, I used to say don't film people, but actually, it can be helpful because you can then take that to the doctor to show them what's actually happening. At first I was very much, don't tell me, I don't, I don't do that. You're going to take, you know, you're going to take the Mickey out of me with this. Um, but it actually can be quite helpful to understand what kind of seizures you're having, where it's affecting the brain, how that seizure is moving. So epilepsy itself is, is basically a, a cross wiring of the electrical impulses within the brain and depending where that happens in the brain depending on what occurs so it can affect your speech it can make you lose consciousness and uh, that's where the funny smells sometimes can come from because it will affect that part of the brain and um, lights as hallucinations sometimes i sometimes suffer with hallucinations of, of colored clouds quite often up in the right hand side usually sort of like yellow colors and sometimes they'll turn orange then you try and look at them and it goes away so there's I've, I've never experienced um any kind of hallucinations where it's physical cartoon characters running around it's more kind of peripheral vision that's a little weird tunnel vision will sometimes occur but thank you for asking what the best thing to do is because your listeners may have come across people and not known what to do and one of the most common things gets said put a spoon in your mouth why would you put a spoon in someone's mouth i had another question about your story when you were driving and you like felt the feeling coming that you were going to have a seizure how long does that feeling last i'm just wondering if has anyone thought of anything you could do like in that feeling that could help prevent the full seizure from coming on or is it like a like 10 second kind of situation that's a funny thing i've spoke to other i call everyone with epilepsy warriors because we get up from the fight and we fight again another day so when i spoke to other warriors we quite often talk about the aura will come on and it's almost like we hit a portal or a doorway that you will either fall through that doorway and you'll lose consciousness or you can push back against it and you can push yourself out of that seizure. So by calming your breathing, taking some deep breath. One of the things I quite often needed to do was go to the toilet and um, quite often found the seizure would stop if I had a poo, which sounds bizarre. That's wow, interesting. that's so interesting because yeah. the stomach is so serotonergic yeah. and endocannabinoid related. Just wanted to take a quick sec to 
acknowledge what Callie's saying here. First of all, I think a lot of people agree it's it's always funny to talk about poop, right? It's it can be awkward. But what's really interesting about this statement is that first of all, I did my own research right after this and it does appear specifically in the UK for some research done about epilepsy and uh, GI issues and things like that, that there is some form of correlation between uh, constipation or GI stress and uh, seizures. This could be an entire topic by itself, but the gut-brain connection is fascinating, but it's not well understood. People acknowledge that it exists, but we don't know that much about it. But we do know there are a lot of different things that are connecting the gut and the brain. And when we think about this, as far as what Kylie's saying here, uh, stress, which could be inducing seizures, there is GI issues that are relieved from cannabis. This is pretty well known as well. But at what point does your GI discomfort cause the stress, which could be causing your, your brain to you know, experience an event like this? I have a lot of questions here, but I'm fascinated and I'm going to do a lot of research on this. There's there's a ton here. You know, seizures and migraines share a lot of similarity. And uh, my wife, Lane, has chronic severe migraines and it's changed a lot. And I'm not going to speak too much about this because it's not about migraines, but that there's this aura. I've, I've had migraines as well. Um, and that prodrome aura is something that I've experienced. I've experienced the same exact thing you're describing, except for me, it's like a pixelation of color. Um, not necessarily like a cloud, but like my vision will start looking pixely in like a corner, like usually the upper right hand corner. I get that. Yeah. I've actually had two seizures in my life. Um, I didn't know Not that. epilepsy. Well, the doctors have no idea why. Um, but um, I understand that like tunnel vision because it's like, as you said, you can hear everything, but you're like, you can tell that you're about to lose control. One of the last times that it happened, I was like, I don't know, 16 or something. And I just like laid on the ground and I still like had a seizure, yep. but I didn't drop to the floor like I had before. Cause the first time I like fell into someone's ice cream, like literally my head fell into someone's ice cream. So um, you definitely learn that feeling very quickly and the education on what to do in that situation of just like finding a safe place. I wasn't even able to like tell my friend, but I like put my hand on her shoulder and I was like, you know, kind of saying, get ready. This is not going to be fun for you. And then, and then, um, yeah, I laid down and it was okay. But like, yeah, something uh, to be aware of. Well, one, one of the things I started doing with friends was when that feeling started, say we were someone I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I, I named my epilepsy George. Um, he's the jealous boyfriend. This, this jealous boyfriend who doesn't like me staying out late, doesn't like me getting drunk, doesn't like me having fun, makes me go to bed. Yeah. Controlling. Yeah. He's, he's ah, George. But George does like a good smoke. That's the good thing about George. He is that way inclined. So I, I learned that I would grab some of George's here. Or if I just go, George, they know instantly if I'm losing speech of, right, let's get her out of here. Let's, let's. And it's just one word. You don't need to be like, hey, I'm not feeling well. I might pass out in the next minute. Like just saying George is like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like everyone knows what's about to happen. So when you say George likes smoking, what do you mean? He does like cannabis. He, he really does. He, he calms him um, because it helps me sleep. So uh, cannabis doesn't treat my epilepsy directly. 
what it does is it helps with the symptoms so my triggers personally are not sleeping getting very stressed emotional stress is a big thing um so george helps with that it helps with anxiety um the cannabis helps to keep george down it helps to keep him a bit more sedated helps him to keep you know regular sleep and to to be a little bit more thoughtful as well um so i i i sort of just to kind of put that kind of bit of comedy twist onto it or just to make me feel a bit better about it of, of just saying george is he's a typical stoner doesn't like to do much <laughs> The jealous boyfriend is... George is the stereotype we're trying to get rid of. Yeah, unfortunately. What we're talking about here is really important because I don't often hear people discussing this topic, which is cannabis as a preventative and regular cannabis use as decreasing stress, increasing quality of life, such that you are below your threshold in other areas because we don't fully understand these complex mechanisms. But for many chronic disorders, stress plays a huge role in whether or not you're sensitive to your triggers at the moment. Oh, and speaking of stress, now it's time for a quick break. So make sure you take a second to unclench your jaw, relax, and try to enjoy something small around you that you may take for granted. We recently started a subreddit called Smoke and Science, so this week we're going to switch it up and read a comment from one of our seshmates, who is King Elmos, about our last episode on receptors. They say, I really loved this episode. You've really done a great job of explaining something I've never been able to grasp. I have absolutely no background in science, and I do not consume other sciencey media, so I feel like I could probably listen to the whole episode again and still learn new things. Haha. <laughs> I absolutely love the little breaks you edit in later to further explain or clarify. It is so helpful. I'm excited to keep binging more, and I have lots more questions, but I suspect many of them are already touched on. Thanks for the love. Who is Killing Elmos? Thanks so much for being part of the conversation. We really appreciate all these comments and reviews and absolutely love reading them and texting them to each other. And I'm also the main mod over at the subreddit r slash smoke and science. And I'm loving all the conversations that I'm seeing between people who listen to the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. And an additional thank you to everyone who's tried our Profound Naturals products and shared them with a friend. As you know, our team is passionate about bringing chemo diversity or chemical diversity to our bodies for the max benefits from natural products? Our products are made from hemp that is transformed during the heating process, resulting in a unique and diverse profile of active ingredients, unlike any other products on the market. Yeah, and one thing I love about our products is that you can use them alone or in combination with your favorite THC products. And every purchase that's made really helps us to continue to do what we do, and we appreciate you all so much. This is the last month to get a 10% discount on your whole order if you use the coupon code PODFAN08. 22 at checkout. So thanks so much, everyone. And then it's going to be one more quick word from the company, and it's back to the science. Smoke and All is a unique cannabis extract that feels more like smoking compared to traditional edibles. That's because it's actually extracted from cannabis smoke. Smoke and All can be incorporated into a variety of formulations, including edibles, tinctures, and capsules. And Smoke and All extraction is fast, easy, and requires very little upfront investment. If you work at a dispensary or are involved in cannabis processing and are interested in incorporating smoke and all formulations for your products, contact the link below or send us a message on Instagram. Smoke and all. We smoked it for you. I think it's really nice to be able to speak with other scientists who feel this way. I mean, we talk about it quite often, like 
it's probably like normal dinner conversation for <laughs> for us to be like, hey, do you want to talk about the unknown? But like, you know, it's it's really something that scientists shy away from. A lot of scientists, I think, fear it. Um, there's a fear of the unknown. Um, and there's something that, in, in terms of like seizure disorders, migraine disorders, epilepsy, you know, they, they are often comorbid. Like what you were mentioning with George um, being a threshold disorder, essentially that if you are below a certain threshold, you know, this is something that can prevent these triggers. Uh, also disorders that are fall under this category are flare disorders, uh, things that flare in and out um, if you are under stress. And it's something that I think chronic cannabis users have in common is this like cannabis helps to keep a lot of things below that threshold. And many of us have more than one thing going on. I mean, many of us have these compounding things and what? that's why when you were talking about finishing up your PhD dissertation and you stopped using cannabis, I was like, oh, no, that can't be good because I probably was at my peak level of cannabis use while I was writing my dissertation because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is overwhelming. Like, I have, like, two weeks to finish writing this. I have so much to do. But then I would, like, use a little bit of cannabis, get super motivated, get creative, just want to spend, like, two hours making a figure, like, absolutely perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely like there is that threshold of even with cannabis, like if you use too much, you become unproductive where it's like you're not creative anymore. You're kind of just lethargic and you just want to do nothing. But if you use the right like cannabis strain at the right amount, it can really be this like perfect amount of creative and productive. And you just need to figure that out before that point, though. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I wanted to ask this. Was, this was part of the problem. I had, I had, you know, this cultivar that we didn't, we knew the name of it, but it was only a kind of guideline of what it was producing. So here in the UK, we, we can't test. We can't find out. We've got no real information about any of the terpenes within what we're, we're consuming, what the actual levels of cannabinoids in there, what the ratio of THC to CBD is, not to mention the minor cannabinoids. You know, we, we have no real information. It's right, it's Gorilla Glue. Oh, so that'll be about 23% THC, not very much CBD. Right, just like blindly guessing what you're smoking and hoping for the best. Or smelling it, I guess smelling it and looking and looking at it, right? And being like, is this representative of the molecules inside? Not not always. You then know? there's the factor of how it was grown. Because I, I've seen the, the same cultivar grown in two different rooms, produce very different results, very different results. And, and, you know, the different lights will stimulate different cannabinoids to be produced in response to that. Temperature fluctuations, uh, the VPD being very different will cause them to actually produce different compounds within the plant. So it, it is a bit of a guessing game. I mean, just a question to yourself when you were finishing your dissertation did you have more information about you know the cultivar you were actually consuming or was it a little bit blind still we assume here in the uk you've got it marvelous over there you've got all you've got dispensaries you've got all this information i was not that um precise about what cannabis i was using and when it was just like i would buy in bulk essentially so i knew that it worked for me but i it was more of like the amount so 
even if I had, because even then I bought some hemp product too. So if, if my product then was like too much THC, I would mix in some hemp. And I, I made sure to use like pretty low levels, but throughout almost the entire day. If I was writing, like I would try to like maintain that throughout the whole day. And then, but yeah, I didn't know like the super specific profile because even now, I mean, I'm not buying most of my cannabis from a dispensary. Um, I still buy a lot of my cannabis just from friends that grow around. And we do have a good idea of what that profile is, but it's definitely not, like, exact. This is another reason why um, smoking flour is the best. Wait, let me, hold on. Let me just soften that statement a little bit. (laughs) In my opinion, in my opinion, smoking flour is the best um, experience for me personally, just me, not, like, saying any recommendations or anything. But um, that's part of it because the titration becomes easier. Um, The ability, titration meaning, like, knowing how much you're taking and stuff is, like, all on feel. And, I mean, I was very, so I'm kind of, like, the opposite situation of what you were describing. I had a different experience from both of you where during my PhD, when I made it through my proposal phase, uh, and for people who uh, don't know, basically like for most PhDs, what happens is um, in the beginning phase of your PhD, you're learning and you take qualification exams and you take all these courses and then you write a proposal and you're proposing what your research project is. And then once your proposal is accepted by your committee, that enters into a different phase of your PhD. You're not a PhD student anymore, you're a PhD candidate, which means that you're finishing out your proposal, you are basically proving to them that you can be a scientist. The first part of your PhD is proving to them that you know enough stuff to do the project. It's like proving to them that you learned enough And then the second part of your PhD is proving that you can execute on that and actually do something tangible and be be a scientist. So when I passed that proposal phase, I thought, what an excellent time to propose another experiment in my life. And I cut cannabis out and I was trying to go for a whole year. Um, And I really was intense with my journaling and documenting about everything that came back. And I was really intense about honestly proving to myself that it wasn't an addiction because I don't take tolerance breaks. Um, I don't believe that they're helpful to me. I think that they stress my brain out. And it was mostly about that, about proving to myself that I, that I didn't have a substance use disorder because I have been diagnosed before with a substance use disorder specifically for cannabis, um, which you know is complicated and complicates your medical care. But you know what ended up happening in, in that time period is I, I ended up, I didn't make it a whole year. I made it like a, over 11 and a half months. But this thing that came back that was crazy was like levels of stress. Um, I drank way more to compensate uh, for this level of stress. And then also hypersensitivity, just like extreme, extreme. Um, I have hypersensitivity to, to touch, like soft touch type things and then to sound. And when those things came like came back, I was like, and then I, I smoked. I was like, I, I was like, oh, I, I should, I need, let, like, this is too far. And it just, it was immediately below threshold. I mean, not immediately. They, there was an acute feeling of it being below threshold. And then it takes about like two or three weeks, I think, of using like regularly and all day, every day, you know, dosing on a, on a dose schedule. But it, it does it the mechanism makes sense why if you use relatively low amounts so that you're still functional i mean for many of us it improves our functionality Definitely. um yeah yeah oh and then over over the course of that day regularly it makes sense that if you were to stay at a steady state which many pharmaceuticals are are dosed to maintain a steady state it makes sense 
that well, there would be different effects. And I know just from my experience at graduate school, um, I saw many, many people start using pharmaceutical medications because graduate school was so stressful. And, you know, it, it's kind of sad to see because, you know, it's a direct product of the stress of grad school. And, you you know, you hope that you can use other lifestyle methods for changing so you don't have to get on the pharmaceuticals but you just don't have time in grad school because you're in the lab for like 12 to 14 hours so a lot of people won't um you know take the time to go for a daily walk for an hour or whatever to help with their mental health um so a lot of times it is pharmaceuticals and cannabis can be an alternative to that um kind of a nice balance between the two it's a lifestyle change and a a compound that you're introducing to your brain we need to talk about your greenhouse now. Well, the greenhouse of love. <laughs> <laughs> because that was so, that is so perfect. Like we really undervalue, it's not just cannabis that we undervalue. We undervalue going outside and taking walks in nature. And we undervalue these other lifestyle, not we, like personally, I'm not accusing the three of us of that. I'm just, I mean, we in the larger scientific. Society. Yeah, and, and especially, especially academic scientists, especially research scientists. Um, you know, our field is pharmaceuticals. And, you know, we, we undervalue the huge impact that these other things have on our brain that are equally, if not more powerful than taking a drug or or a, or a medicine or anything. Well, because oftentimes those lifestyle changes, like going in your greenhouse, going outside for a walk, I mean, it kind of is a drug because you're increasing the amount of compounds in your brain that are produced that are making you feel happy and connected with nature. It's a, There is a like chemical change happening in your brain that is induced like all by yourself just by having by saying okay I'm gonna go for a 30 minute walk outside and just not have my phone on me and just appreciate the world and that really does cause physiological changes in your body your body does make compounds that can help you feel more relaxed when you're outside but nature is also making compounds that can help with this the Japanese term forest bathing or Shinrin Yoku literally means to take in the forest atmosphere by taking an intentional walk into the forest experiencing the sights, smells and sounds of nature has measurable health outcomes like reducing stress increasing productivity and happiness and even helping your immune system this is partly due to the small compounds like terpenes from the plants interacting with your body a hundred percent and and it's funny i read a study the other day about actually that there's a mycorrhizal fungus that when you get your hands into the soil and you release it and then you inhale actually causes a dopamine release in your brain it actually makes you feel happy and this is something in the soil so getting your hands and smoking and getting in there is having that positive effect that that kind of smell and then there's that sense of achievement from a growing as well so that as you're seeing it flourish and the terpenes that are then produced by those plants that you're inhaling and it's just it's so therapeutic you live in the moment that is something that I've certainly learned talking about that going for a walk we have to live in now and look 
just look at nature of how beautiful it is and how that leaf has actually formed and how you know how, why did that leaf evolve into that shape why did why did that particular leaf form those trichomes and start producing those terpenes to defend itself against an attack and that plant next to it looks completely different and just taking that moment to appreciate it or the birds spiders as well I, in the greenhouse of love i, I filmed a spider a, a it's a nine minute long video and uh, <laughs> of this bee and, and then i watch I, it <laughs> and then there's somebody going why didn't you save the bee well the spider needed to eat but this this bee flew into the 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 cobweb and this spider came out and then it quickly, it wrapped it up. It, it first started with its wings and then it was, it, it kind of disabled it and it continued. And the way that this silk and this, this little creature could produce this amazing silk and the, oh, it was, it was, it was stunning. And it was nine minutes of, some people said quite boring, but for me, it was, it was <laughs> just tremendous. Just absolutely mind blowing. Sounds awesome. I wouldn't have saved the bee either. Cause, I mean, the spider worked so hard to get that bee. You can't just be on team bee for no reason. I mean. The spider's got to eat. So, so yeah, this spider's is nature. Eat. I, I love that. Um, I love that feeling that you get with nature. So people, like, I think we often forget, and that's another thing maybe about academic scientists. You know, we, we put ourselves as humans, like, above nature sometimes, and that is not true. Like, we are animals. Have you seen a human make their way through the woods versus, like, a moose? Like, I, I would never put myself <laughs> above a moose in nature. Oh, my gosh. And then <laughs> moose are, like, they, they're huge, and then they, like, so, and then, like. They run through brush or, like, even, like, six feet of snow. They're just, like, running through it like it's not even there. And then humans, you know, we need our snowshoes and our, <laughs> and our big puffy jacket and. 12 layers of clothes like we are very weak when it comes down to just like survival right we are like humbled by we just have thumbs by nature we just have <laughs> we do have those thumbs though i think we're gonna have an evolution of this next generation of thumbs that have become bigger you know for to scrolling i think we're gonna see it the, the, this generation coming through because and, and really big muscles at this point because all they're doing is scrolling we won't even need thumbs. We'll just be in the metaverse as little emojis living right. our life. It'll just read. It'll just read <laughs> our mind because we're gonna have chips embedded in our oh. sc- in our skulls. <laughs> well, so the thing that's interesting about this is that um, you know it it brings to mind like music. Music is something that for me is. I mean, nature absolutely too. But music is another thing that I believe is a drug, or maybe not. I shouldn't put it that way. I believe that music and playing music and playing music with other people and even just like listening to music, live music, I'm talking about like physically being with music, that it's an experience that you can't recreate with other drugs, certainly goes well with with certain drugs, cannabis included. Um, But, you know, it's something that affects your brain and has this like whole, like whole effect in your brain that we don't understand at all. We undervalue how those types of things can be produced. But we know, and I love digital music. I love lo-fi. Like, I, I do love music that's created digitally. But we do know 
that no matter how precise you can make a sound wave digitally, it will always be stepwise. So I don't know if people have seen what a sound wave, if you were to zoom in on any sound wave, what you're gonna see is basically like an oscillating, like an up and down, like it's an arc. It looks like- Like sine, cosine. It looks like sine and cosine, if you're familiar with those functions, but it's basically just like a wave, like up and down, up and down. And it's perfectly curved. In nature, when you're experiencing sound, it's a perfect curve. And digital sounds will never be a perfect curve just by the way in which digital sounds are created. It's one of the reasons why people like analog music for people who do like listening to records or tapes or eight tracks. It's different because it was recorded analog. So, you know, and we can say, okay, the human ear is not capable of hearing the difference between a certain amount because there are definitely technologies out there that are like really high fidelity audio quality type stuff. Um, But the reality is, even if you get to a point that the human ear can't hear it, does that mean that it's the same? Like, no. So like nature produces things that are fractals. Nature and, and us as humans, like we have things, nature produces things that we cannot recreate. Um, you know, fractals are things that when you zoom in on them more and more, they're, um, they're, they just continue to grow. Like the area, or not the area, sorry, the distance of a shoreline, like the, co- like the coastline. If you were to take the entire coastline of the UK and you were to measure it, and first you were to measure it using like a meter stick, you would get one number. But then if you went back and you measured that coastline using inches, or sorry, centimeters. No, we do inches here. Over there. Oh, you do do inches. Okay, we need to get off the imperial system also. Like all of us, need. we need to get off the imperial system. Like why are we even doing this to ourselves? Uh, let's go with centimeters. You go How back many grams and you measure it. Answers? I don't, 28.5? Correct, yes. Is it? Sorry, there's some people think there's 25 grams in an ounce. 25. And it's like, that's oh, an no. short young lady. That's, that's a jib, <laughs> man. You're missing yeah. out on like an eighth there. Like, what's going on that? I'd not be happy with that. Sorry. Yeah, it is. That, that's why I'm I think that's the only reason why I know that. Because if you were to go back and, and measure the shoreline in, in centimeters, then you'd get a bigger number, right? Because you're going to get more of those curves. It's more precise. And yeah. then if you were to go back and measure them in millimeters or microns, like it's basically that the shoreline of the UK, the shoreline of the East Coast, the shoreline, any, any shoreline is actually an infinite um, distance because the more you zoom in on it the greater and greater that number will be I mean it's going to converge on something where it'll start leveling off but it's actually you know for people who are math nerds out there it's a limit and limits can be infinite <laughs> and when you look at them it's limitless and speaking of shorelines did you know Maine has more miles of coastline than California no yeah like tons of indents and whatever and then California is just kind of like it's not straight but it, it's, it it's more well, straight it's, I think that's the difference between sedimentary rock and metamorphic rock which now we're talking about geology I yeah. don't know why <laughs> oh, oh no this is how every conversation oh, no. <laughs> goes this is how it should go I mean it, it, let's bring it back to the music because I don't think we just hear music we feel it you feel it within you um I, I had an amazing experience last last summer, and it was a drum, a whole drumming circle. So it was a big set of drums, and I actually came up on this the the way that they were drumming, and the the heavens opened, so the rain came down. I actually halfway through this whole kind of set of the, the this kind of these drumming. <laughs> There was about 20 of them. I nearly jumped into the middle of them and wanted to, you know, take the drumsticks off them and start banging the drums and getting in. Oh, it was amazing. 
it was, it, I, and I'm stood next to my friend and we were at this festival and I went, I've just come up on that. That was just like, oh, let's get back in there. Come on. Oh, but not even any cannabis and just nothing. And it was just the most amazing feeling. So I think music's not just about sound, what you hear. You feel it all over you. I, I've never I've never done a gong bath. Have you guys ever done a gong bath? No. These are supposed to be something quite moving in that you can come out of them feeling a little bit sick almost of what it taps into. So you, you lay, um, it's usually about an hour, and they will, they will hit gongs, different kind of frequencies, and these will then emit vibrations through you. And I, I've heard very different responses from them of, of trauma within you coming out or, or whatever you're dealing with. It's something I, I really want to sort of um, try next is is a gong bath because they're, they're supposed to be quite moving. Uh, I definitely have a look at them. We would love to come to yeah, the gong bath you know, actually, experience. Yeah. Gong baths are awesome. Frequencies are awesome. These are really interesting topics. Uh, there's quite a bit of information out there about what frequencies can do for your health and for your mind and your body. Um, Callie. I wish I knew that this was called the gong bath before I heard this. I have experienced one of these things before. Um, there's a group that traveled around to all the local music festivals here on the East Coast of the United States for years, and they did these gong baths, as you call them, and they were awesome. Highly recommend it to anybody out there that's, that's seen one or is interested. It's really a unique experience. Um, the one that I did the first time they they called it the spaceship and you step inside of this dome and it's filled with gongs all around it of different shapes and sizes and different frequencies i would suppose and they they do their thing and you travel to a whole new place you keep your eyes closed and it's really it's a pretty incredible experience highly recommend it Actually, I am. Um, I have done something like that. Not it's. I didn't know that that was what it's called, and it wasn't exactly the same because there was only one or two. There were two different like noises being made. But I've definitely done. I've done something very very similar. My I was raised by my grandmother, and yeah, I've done something similar. If people have done any psychedelics and you're listening to music, you know your setting is such a big part of that experience. And the music you listen to. I mean, when you're in that situation where you're actually changing your brain chemistry um you can feel the music kind of what we're talking about you can sense things differently depending on what music you're listening to and i think that's a good indication that the music really is changing your brain like it yes. it absolutely has an effect on your brain and you can tell that if you've done mushrooms or something before like your visuals and the way you feel is directly correlated to what music you're listening or to. even or even cannabis right like why is all can i mean not all cannabis music but I mean, I think I don't I don't know any musicians who don't use cannabis. I mean, or psychedelics, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but I don't either. <laughs> but but it's it's interesting because it's mysticism and just for like a second on talking about like neurodiversity, we all have different abilities in our brain to feel levels of that without any substances whatsoever. So this is a part that I think is super interesting. I know people who can't feel that about music unless they have cannabis. Oh. Like, I know people where, like, cannabis activates that feeling for music and for nature. That must be such a wonderful feeling for them when yes. they start using cannabis and Ex then they can start feeling that. Exactly. Like, super enlightening. I wish I could go back to that stage. 
sometimes I wish I could go back to when I was a little bit more cannabis naive of that that initial kind of that first time that first feeling when you're giggling about everything and everything tastes so amazing when you still get that feeling now um I mean I've I've been using cannabis over 25 years now it's familiar what am I trying to say yes familiar that's that's it's, it's not novel anymore it's not that kind of unique kind of feeling. And I've found with music that I can actually hear music and it can take me back to a time, a place, a feeling. Again, I can have a certain tune songs that I come up on, that that feeling of, whoa, I'm back there again. Whoa, the tingles, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and all on your arms and it's you're back in that moment and that just happened to me i listened to day and night by kid cuddy and i was like whoa (laughs) like i i have a specific memory of like listening to this song you know an apartment above this like shop and i don't i just like the whole night came back to me i'm like that was crazy and it's (laughs) it's known it's known that this is an effect so so my wife lane plays the violin is like an ultra talented violinist and um you know they used to play at um, Alzheimer's and dementia um, homes like go bring the violin and play these old songs as like community you know for the community and and people would you know not remember their like their kids names but be able to like remember a song and or or hear a song and have that song be like a link to something that they could remember um, like very, very tangibly. And these are things like with memory that we just don't understand, you know, we just don't understand. Like your wedding song or something. And then like right. all that comes out. That's super special. That's really cool. And, and it's this activation of the brain that we have yet to fully, you know, to fully understand and appreciate. But I think the three of us like are very clear in our appreciation of the parts of it that we might not understand fully how they're working, but we can say like, hey, for sure something is working here. Like, for sure, there's something happening when you're listening, when you can feel that, you know, and and going back to the familiarity thing, because like I've been, you know, we've been using cannabis for a really long time. And just the other day I had, I mean, this year, actually, I remember it was March 3rd this year. And I'm like, never going to forget this because I had this experience when we were hanging oh, out it was here. here. Yeah, yeah when we yeah. were hanging out here. I had this experience where like my brain hadn't felt that way since before I took antidepressants and before I took some of these pharmaceuticals. And it was this crazy thing that I experienced based on a a very, very unique mixture of rare cannabinoids. And um, it it really gave me a whole different hope. And I know it's it's still fairly recent. I mean, like it's only been a couple months of like integrating what I feel about this because you know sometimes you have a big experience like that, and it it takes a long time for you to like actually understand what it meant and kind of what you were describing about um, the knowledge that you gain, like sometimes it takes a while. You can't put it in words, you can't write it down, but you came back like learning something um, with it with a deeper purpose and one of the things that it gave me was this like um, extreme amount of hope uh, about like my brain that I hadn't had. I, I hadn't even realized that I had been like not sad, but kind of um, accepting or like I had some forms of like, I wouldn't say it was negative. I think it was just an acceptance that just like complacent, com- like, yeah, yeah. complacency. I was, I had accepted that like, perhaps it wouldn't feel, my brain wouldn't feel that way again. Um, and I just hadn't even known about it. I didn't even think about it. Cause it's been, you know, it was 12 years ago. It's now, it's now been 12 years since I've taken any pharmaceuticals um, regularly prescribed for my mental health. And 
I had just accepted, you know, it's been a long time and that it wasn't going to be that way. But it was it was interesting. And I think there is a future that in, in terms of like the positivity about that, like there is a future in us looking more into this plant. There is a future into looking at these molecules that we don't understand yet. And maybe we won't ever understand the full magnificence of flower because, you know, maybe we should really quickly. I know we're like, this is going to be a long one. but We should talk <laughs> about the magnificence of flower, the magnificence of like the natural the natural plant and growing it and i know how you feel about growing and you know hydroponics is your field um it's it's incredible because there is a future in us valuing that and not boiling it down i think we need to as well is is and it's coming on board now people are accepting terpenes a part of the entourage affair that terpenes are something we actually find that more often than not, that the problems associated with cannabis are is a terpene that's causing a problem, and it's an allergy to a terpene. So if we can understand which of those terpenes causes those problems, I have a friend who, if they smoke a cultivar that is, is high in linalol, they get very, very paranoid. They really don't, they doesn't agree with them. So they have to stay away from anything that contains high levels of that. Now, if we had that information, if we knew what we're consuming or we're able to send a sample off of, you know, if, if you've got your own little grow going off or your friends or you, you've acquired some that you know that, right, this has got this profile of terpenes in this batch of flowers, got this terpenes in, I'm going to be okay. This is going to be fine. It's going to, you know, stimulate me or I'm not going to get paranoid. We can avoid some of the side effects and maybe just get rid of some of the stigma as well that's associated with cannabis because it just takes one person to have a bit of a bad experience due to whatever reason and then cannabis is the demon. We've all had the whitey. We've all felt that feeling where we go, oh. And that's a lot dependent on THC concentration. Every bad experience I've had with cannabis has been using too much product with a lot of THC in it. And or THC on its own. Oh, like, yeah. Specifically. Yeah, and like the, I can't hang with concentrates. Like, I use cannabis every single day, multiple times a day, but if someone gave me a dab rig and was like, oh, you know, take take this dab, I'd be like, I need a couch. Like, I can't walk after this. <laughs> Except when you dosed me in Vegas. <laughs> I didn't mean to. It was just, you know... When in Vegas. When in Vegas. I was like, I, Riley's like, oh, you want this? And it looked like flour. And I was like, sure. <laughs> not not just flour. We've been there for like two hours. And <laughs> am I feeling a fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of moment coming on where you've gone into Las Vegas and then come back out and then back in again? And... Vegas is crazy. I can't believe the scale of that that city. Oh, it's a like, production. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it felt like a simulation. It's a trip. Like, walking into each environment is a separate little trip. Like, you go into a con- yeah, casino like... and they, like, painted the ceiling to look like the sky, so you feel like you're outside but inside and then there's a boat that goes by you but you're next to a versace store like it's like the craziest thing in the and, world and every everything is meant to draw you in so like everything is meant to draw you in and to be you know entertainment there's like a lot of lights and stuff and like if you came you would have to be on heavy cannabis i'm sure because it is stimulating <laughs> it is like The reason why I mentioned maybe needing higher doses of cannabis here is because epilepsy can be triggered by flashing bright lights, and there is certainly a lot of that going on in Vegas. 
time, though. I mean, it's, I think it's interesting, like, so that's another thing about cannabis that people always say, like, so I was labeled very much so, like, in high school, like, a stoner, like, um, I, I mean, I need cannabis in social settings. I, I need it. It's an accommodation for me. Because if I'm if I'm not if I don't have cannabis in my system and I'm in a social situation, I'm going to freak out. Like I mean, it's like it, I will definitely have a bad thing happen. Like I I have I used to when I was a lot younger had a lot of behavioral issues, and a lot of it stemmed from like severe social anxiety, severe severe like hypersensitivity, like specifically like sound and conversations. Like I can't turn off other people's conversations. Like. If I'm using cannabis, then I can, like, not that I turn them off, I don't notice them. But if I'm, like, not using cannabis, this is something that I realized in my break. Um, I am listening to every conversation that's happening around me, and that's a lot to, like, be taking in all the time and stuff. And I think that's something that's, like, a when people recreationally use cannabis and they say, oh, I'm using recreationally, um, because they're like, oh, I use cannabis when I go to parties, right? I'm like, sometimes I'm always like, yeah, but is that recreational or is that... <laughs> Like, well, we talk about this too with therapy. Um, that I mean, you mentioned this that I I, we both think it would be beneficial to have some level of cannabis use during therapy because it opens you up, it allows you to feel more comfortable with someone, to facilitate that conversation, to maybe talk about things that you wouldn't talk about if you weren't using cannabis. And you don't, you don't need to smoke a full joint that's 32% THC. You know, you could, (laughs) yeah, you could just have a small amount, essentially microdose cannabis, and it could have a lot of benefits in a lot of settings that we don't traditionally attribute cannabis used to. Oh, 100%. I I couldn't agree more. And, and as you say, that the therapeutic kind of benefits and, and other psychedelics as well, things like, I mean, we haven't even touched on MDMA or ketamine. And these and the, the therapies which are coming through from both of these substances allow you to open up or feel feel empathy which you've never felt before or able to connect with someone and be able to really kind of go deep into that feeling and not feel that you're being judged. And I think there's still, I, I spent a lot of time hiding my cannabis consumption for many, many years. I was ashamed of it. Um, due to my son, um, basically because I was scared of him taking him away from me. Um, now he's 18, I don't care anymore. Please You're not going to take my son away. So, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I'm, I'm respectful of other people. So I'm respectful of others who don't consume and uh, so I'm always respectful in that manner. But I'm not ashamed of consuming cannabis. I'm not ashamed to be a mum anymore. I spent a lot of time being very ashamed and hiding. And chastising myself for it as well and I came out of that a couple of years ago again when I came out of the denial of my epilepsy there was there was kind of 2017 was a very big year for me of of a lot of things happening and a lot of changes for me and it it was like coming out as being gay And, and, and it felt that way and I remember I remember being on stage and it was the first time I'd actually ever spoke about consuming cannabis and my epilepsy and it was a room full of academics it was a room full of doctors and other peers that I felt oh I wouldn't normally say this in front of because I I would hide it during my PhD I would have never told my university supervisor I took my university supervisor 
couple of weeks ago down to a farm in the UK for some work we're going to be doing there. And I, I actually revealed my whole story and all the time through doing my PhD, I was consuming and things. And he, so I had no idea, Carly. I, I just had no, no idea. And I'm not ashamed of that anymore. Before I would have hid it because I thought I'd have been thrown off of my PhD. But it was, I remember doing it on stage and it, it was it was this the most amazing feeling in the world of just opening up to the world and not hiding and not being ashamed anymore. And I quite often use the hashtag, hashtag not ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed of this. This is a beautiful plant. This is something that's helped me so much, helped so many other people. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that other people see the potential of this, not push it in the face, not, not force it on them, but at the same time, just get them to see that this is a medicine. This has potential. This is not just about, you know, stoners and people eating pizza and playing on the PlayStation all night. This is about people like ourselves who are scientists, who are journalists, who are musicians, who are barristers, who are lawyers. Every walk of life is, is using cannabis and we shouldn't be ashamed and we shouldn't feel like we need to hide this. We, we are in the 21st century. We shouldn't hide what we do, and I'm proud. I'm standing. You up should be so proud you of it. Be. Now. And like, there's so many functioning members of society that use cannabis daily, and in many cases, it actually makes you better at your job uh, because you can actually go home and have a work-life balance, or you can think creatively, you can problem solve better, or just you know, helping your mental health will help you in every aspect of your life. So, yeah, I think you know, people like everyone here people that we meet online like the more open we are about it and showing that we're still doing so many other things um i think that's incredibly beneficial for kind of destroying the stigma of the lazy stoner well at least it's beneficial if you don't get you know banned and removed from yeah from I'm, the <laughs> I'm, i've been removed from every like social media <laughs> i'm currently banned on tiktok and removed from instagram we recorded this episode early in 2022, and not much has changed as far as censorship goes. Uh, since that time I was deleted, I have been deleted four additional times off of Instagram, including right now. Yeah, so. we have these little, like, <laughs> warning signs next to, like, the things, and, like, who knows, Riley will get the account back. I mean, it's it's a lot, um, but I, I really appreciate, like, I really appreciate everything about your passion and your story and your personal journey and sharing that because it is vulnerable and it is something that all of us, both of us, like, very much so feel about our decision to be out about it and just about what you said about having it feel like you're coming out like you're being queer like just from personal experience absolutely i am i i think it is very very comparable to that it is something that we are discriminated against um it is something that we are facing huge amounts of pressure and or like societal pressure family pressure but like also work like we're all scientists and we are definitely we are definitely, you know, stereotyped and there's a stigma and we are discriminated against. So it's something that is unfortunately true for now, but I think that us coming out about it is only something that will 
you know, help it move forward. And um, one last thing is that we want to ask people as guests on our podcast, we can talk for like hours longer and we probably should. <laughs> um, we probably should. But, uh, you know, one last thing is that we always say to everyone um, that comes on, like I w- we would like to give you the opportunity to speak about anything that you want to speak about that we didn't touch on here or anything or just double down on something that we talked about. But um, the floor is yours and we want you to share um, anything you want with all of the people who are It can listening. be like cannabis related or not, just about literally anything. Oh, anything at the moment. I think being a parent and cannabis, this is a really big taboo and a really big one. I don't know if you follow Cannamums on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And they're doing all the dances and they're so tons. Oh yeah. I love them. I love them because that was that was one of the things that was the biggest and hardest challenge with being a cannabis consumer was that fear of your 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 family being broken up because you've chose to consume this plant. And it made me a better parent. It made me more patient. It made me take more time for my son to take that that, you know, take a moment and take a step back and not shout because they've just colored the wall in or they've just opened uh, you know, some tomato ketchup and it's spread across the room. You just take a moment and not scream and go, right, let's get this cleaned up. Come on then, darling. And and, and then going for them walks in nature. I, I definitely believe it may be a much better parent and, and all the other parents I speak to as well. But we're still frowned on for it. But it's okay as a mum to you know mummy needs a glass of wine at four o'clock it's okay that's fine now if, if you're a drinker that's fine but please don't call me because i choose to consume a plant when you drink alcohol and you know are you still in as much control with alcohol uh, I, i've seen far much much more violence occur due to alcohol i i drink myself i don't drink very much um it's usually a couple of drinks and i know my limits i know where where they are and I've learned that that's, that's as much as I want. But I just, I, I, this normalization of alcohol consumption and how that somebody on TikTok wouldn't be banned for getting a bottle of wine out and pouring it out and drinking it and then dressing up like a, a mess 30 minutes later, that doesn't get banned. But for you to talk about a plant, and I've watched lots of your videos, it's always educational. It's never abusive. It's never... In, in belittling anyone it's about how powerful this plant is and how amazing it is why is this getting banned why it's crazy but yeah, we ask ourselves that every day i mean i think we know the answer unfortunately yeah but <laughs> yeah it's it's super frustrating because you put all this effort into like trying to produce free educational content just for it to be either like shadow banned or properly banned. It's That's frustrating. And that is one of the things that we love about um, doing the podcast and getting to speak with other people and like share this perspective is that like, you know, as of right now, like this is one of the only realms that we have to actually speak about the things that we want to speak about and have it reach. Like, I mean, yeah, this is something that's ultra, ultra complicated especially when it comes to parenting because everyone seems to have a judgment about how we should be parenting people but we actually don't know I mean everyone is going to parent the way that they're going to parent and the best way that you can parent is going to be unique to you it's going to be unique to like your situation and um, we say this all the time on the podcast but like our our team really believes in the you do you like yes you do you 
But you do you. Stop hating um, on everyone else because you don't know about their lives, their situation, or anything. Yeah. Just you do you. And I think that that's something that hopefully will be changed and will be more accepted um, because it's way less toxic and way less harmful, in, in my opinion, but also not just in my opinion, like the actual science and pharmacotox, like the toxicity of the molecules in cannabis, at least in the flower, in the concentrations, as Riley always calls it, the natural ratio that happens in the flower. Some of the safest things we've ever discovered, ever. Many garden plants are far more toxic. Let's get started on foxgloves. I, I literally have a poisonous plant garden. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to cut that or else the DEA is going to... Oh, like, just kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the podcast, Callie. We always love learning from you. Next week, we'll be sharing an extra credit office hours that goes into detail about how CBD works for epilepsy. Thank you so much to all the listeners who are supporting us and what we do by leaving reviews, following us on social media, and buying our products from Profound Naturals and directly contributing to our ability to continue to do this research and education. Riley and I have been struggling with censorship on some of the other platforms. So those of you who follow this podcast and listen to us on the only thing that we can talk to that's completely uncensored about teaching about cannabis science and education and support what we're doing here, it, it means so much to us because this is how we're going to change the stigma and this is how we're going to help get this information out there for free to anyone who wants to learn about it to help them increase their quality of life. Speaking of which, there's an awesome community getting built over on the subreddit r slash smoke and science of other listeners of the podcast who really enjoy improving their quality of life and learning about the science of cannabis and talking to one another about what they think about what they're learning in this journey. So come over and have a chat. We're already having some awesome discussions. If you like this podcast, our team and our goals with research and education, and of course, ending the stigma please consider supporting our company by following us on social media at Smokinall or at Profound Naturals and giving our products a try at www.profoundnaturals.com. Our products are so much more than just CBD and offer unique benefits. Try them and see for yourself. And this is the final reminder that there's about one week left. Use the code PODFAN0822 for 10% off your whole order. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we will see you next week on Smoke and Science.